all right, listen, this freak show is about to come to an end. I mean, listen, I just want to be honest with you guys tonight. I usually stopped at Samson and then just jumped to Ruth. But the end of Judges is such an odd mix of bizarre, perverted stories. I can't say it any clearer. So tonight, we're going to be in Judges 15 through 21. Now, I'm going to paraphrase a lot, so we're not going to read six chapters of the Bible. So you're like, oh, my God, okay, we're just going to read the Bible and go home. Um, just going to paraphrase, because we want to wrap up with what I promised you would wrap up with Samson, which starts in uh, Judges 17 and 18. So, uh, I'm sorry, 15 and 16. We see Samson's end of his life, and as you may know the story, he falls in love with a woman named Delilah. She seduces him, as we know, through temptations of new ropes, old ropes, loom my hair and, and put it to a machine, I don't, crazy stuff. And finally, he takes it so far that he tells Delilah the secret of his power, the secret of his strength. And I, I was reminded of a, of a quote, um, I think Ravi Zechariah said this, but he said, sin will take you further than you ever thought you would go, keep you for longer than you'd ever want to stay, and cost you more than you'd ever think you'd pay. And that's exactly what happened to Samson. As you start to see him messing around and messing around and messing around, he just began to have this attitude like, I'm untouchable. And so whatever I do, whatever I dabble in, whatever I'm in, God is with me. I don't really have to worry about being with him. He's with me. And that's really a, a misunderstanding of the relationship part. We think that it's just God with us, but we never have to be with God. Well, God's with me, so I can just do whatever I want. There's, there's mercy and grace, so I can do whatever I want. And, and there's true, but it's not so that you can do whatever you want. It's so that you can actually be free in him and do whatever he wants. You can't do what he wants unless you're in relationship with him, and you can't do what he wants unless you know him intimately. And so Samson kept getting further and further and further away. And as you notice, he started messing with the very edges of his power. Hey, loom my hair into a loom. Uh-oh, you're right on the edge, son. You're right there. You're, right, you're so close. And eventually we know the story. He told her, shave my head, and I'll become as any other man. It's funny, the Bible says, I'll become as any other mortal man. Isn't that fascinating? So Samson actually thought himself to be immortal. It's a little phrase that we, I've jumped over a hundred times. That I'll become as any mortal or regular man. Up to this point, he's thought himself to be immortal. So, and that's what sin does. It just sort of glazes over our own mortality, our own weaknesses, our own, our own um, frailties. It actually makes us think that we're immortal, that we're untouchable. You can't touch me. So shave my head. I'll become like every other mortal man. He strips him of his power, as you guys know, and it's sort of a good ending for Samson. Judges tells us that his hair began to grow. And this is such a cool little phrase, and I'm sure you've heard this before, that in God's mercy, in, he's, he's grinding grain like an oxen. He's in a, he's in a, a drift mill, or a grist mill, and he's, his eyes are plucked out. I mean, golly, you know, like this is not the ending you'd hope for Samson. He's only been serving for 20 years. It's a short reign. He's done some crazy stuff. He's carried city gates. He's caught 300 foxes. He's murdered men with a jawbone of a donkey. He's just done insane stuff. 
Now he finds himself in the Philistine temple of Dagon, and he's just grinding in a circle, blind, attached to a mill, grinding in a circle. Isn't it amazing how far sin had dropped Samson to the bottom? I mean, he was now doing the work of a mule. He was now doing the work of an ox. He was God's man chosen from the womb as a Nazarite. You're thinking, this guy's got it all going for him. But just one step, one step, one compromise, one compromise, one compromise, one compromise, and his power was gone, and he was now grinding grain. Now it comes to it. His eyes are gone. He's milling grain. So the Philistines decided to throw a party. They make Samson the object of their sport. A young man guided Samson to where the main pillars of the temple of Dagon were, and he, he said, place my hands on the pillars. Isn't it funny? It's such a prophetic word here. Samson really did more than just place his hands on the pillars. I think this is a prophetic word that when you are ready, and God is always waiting, but when you're ready, he'll always be willing to receive your hands back on what you know is true. Not that the pillars of Dagon were true, but pillars represent foundation. Pillars represent what was built on. Pillars represent what you built your life on. Pillars represent what is true and wisdom. And so if Samson's like, give me the pillars. I feel like I need to return back to what I know, the foundation of my life. It's sort of a prophetic word that Samson's hands were on the pillars. And of course, you may know the story. He pushes the pillars down. He says, God, just give me one more shot. And he kills 3,000 more than he ever did in his entire life. Now, it's bizarre. I mean, it's just a bizarre ending. And that's Samson. That's it. And the Bible says he ruled, he ruled Israel, judged Israel for 20 years. There you go. You're welcome. Moving on. It gets weird. So bear with me. Any kiddos? My, well, they can't hear. All right. We'll keep this as... PG as possible. Yeah, Harlan, as possible. All right. So this is a story. This is, now, again, I don't know about you, but even in Old Testament survey, like in when I was in college, we would just go Samson and then the rest of Judges, and let's go to Ruth. Because the rest of Judges is so bizarre. It, it just it shows us a nation that is so deprived of God. Even though they think they know God, and we're going to see many, many times that people cried out to God and thought they knew God and made an image of God, and, and, and yet they were so far from him, they didn't even recognize how far they had fallen. So Samson's gone. Now we move to a story called Micah and the Levite. Now, this is a story of Micah. This sounds like it's something out of the Apocrypha, actually. But it's Micah, this dude named Micah, steals, not the prophet, another guy, Micah steals 1,100 silver pieces from his mom, okay? Notice there's no dad in this story, and I'm going to get to that in a minute. Well, he returns it. He feels bad because she says, I'm going to curse you if you don't give me back my money. Well, he had just enough fear of God to say, I better give that money back or I'm going to be cursed. So he gives the money back. There's 1,100 pieces of silver. She's so excited that she decides, you ready how, how spiritual this moment? She decides to make an image of God out of 200 of those pieces of silver. Awesome mom. Way to go. My 1100 is returned, so my tithe to God is going to be 200, and I'm going to make an image of God. And Micah, can you take care of that for me? Sure. So he's happy. So let's pause here. God's first two commandments were this. Number one, first commandment. Come on, Sunday school people. What? 
No, the first commandment, not the, not the new commandment, the first commandment. Huh? That's number two. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. That's a good Lutheran right there. <laughs> thou shalt have no other gods before me. The second one, Bo, as to your point, was thou shalt not make any graven images. The first commandment was how we worship God. The second is how not to worship God. Isn't that awesome? The first commandment is how we worship God. I'm number one. I should be number one. I'm jealous. I love you. I'm your lover. Uh, I'm, your, I'm your God. I'm your God. I'm the God of gods. I'm the Lord of lords. The I am. And the second one is, and don't make anything out of your own lens that you think is me. Don't think, don't raise something up out of your own interpretation that you think is me. That's the how not to worship me. You tracking with me? So Micah, man, Micah thinks he's in God's will. He's, oh my God, my life's great. I got, and now check this out. My life is about to even get better. The first, uh, then we see that Micah meets a Levite. Now what is a Levite? Anybody know what a Levite was? Come on. Yeah, he was a priest. He was, he was the religious leader of the nation. The Levite tribe was set aside, as we know, back in uh, Leviticus, Leviticus, right? The whole book's about just how to operate as a priest, how to lead the nation out of paganism, how to, how to lead the nation into a relationship with God. The Levites, they were supposed to be the religious, spiritual leaders of the nation. Okay, you got that in your mind? What, what was a Levite? Yeah, a spiritual leader. Let's just put it easy. Spiritual leaders, they're supposed to be getting people uh, connected to God. They're supposed to point people to the true nature of God. All right? You got that in your head? Micah meets a Levite. His luck is turning for the better. Micah is happy. He didn't get cursed by his mom. He's got a cool little image of God that he made out of silver. It's pretty incredible. He's got his own chapel. I mean, this dude is legit. You can't get any more spiritual than that. I got money. I got blessing. I got my own church. And now I got a pastor. This Levite passes by, and he goes, this is the greatest luck. How fortunate that God would send a Levite just as I made an image of God. Do you see how far off this is going? <laughs> We're going off the rails quickly, aren't we? So he hires him. Sound familiar? to be his personal priest. Hey, look, look, my life is good. I am going to hire you. You are going to be my personal priest. I got money. Look, I got a chapel out back. We are going to have a good time. We'll have communion. We'll worship God. We'll do sacrifices. It's going to be awesome. My life is awesome. And then this happened. By the way, Judges 18 starts with, Judges 17, 6 says, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did that which was right in his own eyes. Judges 18 starts off by saying, there was no king in Israel. A whole, this is what happened next, Judges 18. A whole tribe of warriors from Dan show up, these warrior tribe, and they steal Micah's priest and his image. They're like, dude, hey, 
there's a priest here. Sweet. Hey, we're going about to go to war. Can you give us a good word from the Lord that we're going to win? Oh, yeah, man, you guys are going to win. Look at you guys. You guys are studs. You guys are from the tribe of Dan. You're Danites. You're warriors. You're going to win. You guys got this. Sweet. They go. They win. They come back. Okay, you're our priest now. You're our Levite. You're our man of God. So they stole him from Micah. And Micah's like, wait a minute. You can't steal my priest and my image. That's mine. Can I just tell you this? Once God becomes your God, and you start using the phrases like, my God, or my Jesus, listen, he is not your Jesus. He's just Jesus. You tracking with me? It's like, oh, my God would never do that. Well, you, do you know God? Well, my Jesus would never do that. Well, do you know Jesus? He's not your Jesus. He's our Jesus. He's just Jesus. Are you, does that make sense? Well, see, you see this all the time. Well, it's my image, and it's my priest, and it's my church, and it's my pastor, and it's my money. Using the word my really tends to reveal a deep, dark secret in our heart that we're pretty selfish. And we want, to, we want to manipulate God into an image that satisfies our flesh. Come on. We're, we're, we're manipulating God and we're, we're creating God in an image that suits what makes me feel good. Judges 17, 18, 19, and 22 all say this. Everyone did that which was right in his own eyes because there was no melech. There was no king there's no father. There's no warrior shepherd. That's what happens when we take God and make him into our image. This is such an incredible national story. Think about this. Dan says this must be God's will because they, this, this priest prophesied right. The priest says, I'm going to go with these guys because it must be God's will because they're offering me a lot of money. Let, can, let me pause here for a minute. Having a bunch of money or living in a big house doesn't mean that you're blessed. Come on. Having lots of fancy clothes and cars doesn't mean that you're right with God. Having all the wealth and riches of the world doesn't mean that God is with you. We have twisted and perverted our Christian message. You know what? Uh, quick story. I had a lady tell me that God must be blessing you because you went to Colorado and you have this amazing house and your church is doing great and you have all these friends and, man, God really must be in that. And I told her, I said, if I'm living in a trailer park, dead broke, I'm still in God's will. God does not measure his blessing upon material stuff. But so many times we see that we're measuring our relationship with God on how much money we're making. And so the Levite, the spiritual leader, are you tracking with me? The spiritual leader of the nation is chasing money. I tell all my guys this, never, ever chase money, ever. Do what God has put in your heart to do and every one of your needs will be taken care of. Don't chase money money. Money fleets. Money's slippery. Money comes and goes. It's temporary. It's, it's wheat. It's grass. It's fire. It's nothing. Chase what God has put in your heart, and every one of your needs will be met. You could be answering the call of God and have all kinds of hell breaking loose. 
As a matter of fact, you probably are. The Bible claims and, and, and actually states that don't be surprised when trials and tribulations come your way, my friends, because this is building something much more valuable in you than you could ever imagine. It's patience and wisdom, perseverance. Those are the things that last in eternity. That is the monetary transactions that we need in eternity. It won't be silver, and it certainly won't be gods that we make in our own image. This kind of thinking is the result of a nation that has forgotten who God is. They became not God followers. They became Israelites. Let me unpack that just a little bit. A God follower is someone who can put aside his national registry and follow God regardless of what the national tenure is, regardless of what the, the national pulses, whatever the hot topic is. They don't get wrapped up in what's going on in the kingdom of the world. They get wrapped up in what God is saying in the kingdom of heaven. You tracking with me? So what happened with Israel is what's happening right now. We have more Christians who claim to be Christians but are more nationalists than they are Christians. And they follow men, and they follow money, and they follow political parties, and they've forgotten to follow God. We don't even know who God is. So we create elaborate temples to worship in him. And he's like, I'm not even there, dude. I, I mean, there's Ichabod written all over the door. I'm not even there. You, you don't even know that I'm not even in your worship. He said to Amos or Nahum, I'm one of those little guys, he said, little guys, sorry, minor prophets. He said, put your hands down. I don't want your, your pagan worship because you don't know who I am. Israel did the same thing that we're doing today, hanging their hook on nationalism and forgetting God, forgetting the way, forgetting Jesus, forgetting what Jesus said about who God was, who their father was. As I said earlier, this phrase keeps showing up. There was no king in Israel. By the way, I used this Hebrew word a little earlier. It's melech. It's three words. As you know a little bit about Hebrew, right? Because we, Colin and Michael and myself, we've unpacked this a little bit. It's three words made up of M, L, and K, or K-C-H. And when you put those together, like a comic strip, and I don't want to get into it really in depth tonight, this is what it means. You ready? A warrior shepherd. Isn't that cool? <laughs> there was no warrior shepherd in the land. There was no one to fight on their behalf, and there was no one to train them or teach them. There was no one to correct them. There was no one there to break their legs when they started running too far and then let them heal. There was no one there to feed them by still waters. There was no one there to teach them the ways of, the, of generations before. There was no warrior shepherd. There was no one there to guide them. And Isaiah says it so clearly. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and everyone does what's right in his own eyes. Why? There's no shepherd. Did you notice that in Micah's story, who's missing in it? Who's missing in Micah's story? A father, yeah. 
no father. And it's just recurring over and over. There's no fathers, no fathers in the land. And we're encountering this today. We're encountering fatherlessness like never before. And I'm not talking about a guy that can donate sperm. I'm talking about a guy who's a shepherd warrior, who can guide his children, who can guide his wife, who can guide his, his bride, who can guide his family and say, man, listen, that's not the way we're going to go. This is the way we're going to go. And if we go that way, we're going to die. So trust me. We've, we've drifted so far, my friends. We don't have dads loving on their girls. My daughter comes home and tells me story after story after story about how women feel so ugly and insecure because no man in true beauty has ever said, you're beautiful, you're worth it, you're lovely, and I love you, come here. Over and over and over, and then we have guys that don't know how to be guys. They're still little boys, and so they take advantage of the girls, and they tell them what they think they want to hear, and then they just rip their hearts out. Why? No warrior shepherds. Where are the warrior shepherds? Where there are no warrior shepherds, people do whatever's right in their own eyes. People do whatever they want. There's no boundary that they won't cross. There's no margin that they won't jump into. There's no, there's no cesspool that they won't join. It's proven. History tells us over and over and over and over and over. When the righteous rule, the people rejoice. And I'm not talking about our president. I'm talking about men and women who are warrior shepherds. The kings, the daddies, the lovers, the sages, the poets, the dancers, the warriors, the mothers, the nursers, the mature that's what I'm talking about. All right, moving on. Freak show's about to get freakier. Judges 19 through 21. 19, guess how it starts. There was no king in Israel. We would think that the book of Judges would somehow end on a happy note. Yeah, no. The final chapters of this book, we see the ultimate depravity of the minds of men, and since there were no fathers, the nation turns completely from God. Now, here we have another story of a Levite. Now, keep in mind what I said about Levites. It's fascinating that, the, that this author is pointing out spiritual leaders, how far spiritual leaders have drifted from God, and this is what's happening in the realm of the religious. Can I just put it in today's vernacular? These are our pastors doing this stuff, abusing people, taking money. Take, I am so sick of hearing pastors taking churches, I'm so sick of it. What are you doing? Well, I took a church. You took a church. Can you, can you even unwrap that for me? What, is, what, what does that even mean? Well, I'm taking a church. You're taking a church. Okay. That kind of tells me where our hearts are. Well, well, what are you doing? Well, I'm working. Well, I, I took a job. Well, I got a, whatever. It's, it's pagan. Oh! Here we have another story of a pastor. Uh, taking for himself a girlfriend. Yeah. Hey, why not? It's what everybody else is doing. So he goes to this dude. He pays for his daughter to be his girlfriend. Now, she escapes. She's like, okay, you're a freak show, all right? You're from the hills of Ephraim. He's probably, you know, some weird smelly guy that just came off the, you know, like Scotland or something. Anyway, the Levite chases after her back to her dad's house. Eventually, he leaves with her 
to go his home, to go home. So he, he, he's being delayed and delayed. And if you read the story, it's so weird. You get delayed, delayed, delayed. Uh, it's like a Twilight Zone story. You know, just stay another night, stay another night. So they go down to a place called Gibeah. Now, keep in mind, Gibeah, uh, well, I won't get ahead of myself, but Gibeah of Benjamin. So this is a little tribe of Benjamin, a little town in Benjamin called Gibeah. The, now, check this out. So this Levite dude sits in the town square until somebody offers him a place to stay, because that's just how the culture worked. They didn't have any Holiday Inns. They didn't have any, you know, Motel 6s. They just said, hey, we're going to sit in the city square. Everybody knows everybody, but so they don't know me, so they're going to say, hey, do you need a place to stay? Well, it was getting night, and an old man, an old shepherd comes down from the hills, and he says, hey, um, you need a place to stay? He goes, yes, we do. So me and my concubine are going to sh uh, shack up with you. So they go into this dude's house. This is a true story. I'm, I mean, I know I'm paraphrasing, but this is really in there. They go to this dude's house, and um, at night, the, these, these sexual deviates come banging on the door of this old man's house, and they say, give us the new dude so we can have sex with him. Yeah, that's, a, that's in there, okay? I'm, I'm even cleaning it up. They're, they wanted to do stupid stuff. But anyway, this is, you get the general idea. All these men are wanting to have sex with this guy. So the old man and the Levite come up with a plan. Hey, wait a minute. I got a daughter, and he's got a hot girlfriend. How about we send them out to you? And so they keep pounding. What does this remind you of? Remember? Sodom and Gomorrah. Give us those men. So here's what the Levite. Remember who the, who's the Levite? Yeah, praise the spiritual leader of the nation. Guess what he does? Oh, man, to save my own skin, take my girlfriend. So all night, these men abused this woman. In the morning, I wish the story got better. In the morning, she returns back to the home, and she can't even get in. She's laying at the doorstep, and it says her hands were on the threshold. So it gives you a very, very vivid picture that she probably crawled to the house after being sexually molested all night long being gang raped all night long. She crawls to the house. And in the morning, the Levite gets up. He's like, well, I've got to continue on my journey. Sees her laying at the doorstep and says, come on, get up. And she doesn't answer. He puts her on his donkey and goes home. And then when, <laughs> this is what he does next. He decides to cut her up in 12 pieces and send her to the 12 tribes of Israel and say, is this what we've become? I, I want to run back in time and just punch this guy right where men should not be punched. I mean, this guy needs to be... He, he's, you see how the religious leaders have drifted so far that they've now put the blame on the nation? Instead of taking self-responsibility, saying, man, I have screwed up. I'm going to blame somebody else. Israel, what in the world is going on? How could this happen? Well, all of Israel gets fired up, and they decide to go to war against Benjamin. And so all of Israel marched like 400,000 people down to the doors of Benjamin and say, Benjamin, you suck. You can't do this to the, the blah, blah, blah. And they kill everybody except for 600 men who escape. Now, I, the, then, the, then the people of Israel said to God, why did this happen? If we wipe out Benjamin, it's genocide, and we're going to miss out one of our 12. When 
Listen, he listened to me very carefully. When we attach ourselves to religious rules more than we do to the morality of God, we are pagans. Let me say that again. Do you see what happened here? They were more interested in keeping the 12 tribes intact than they were in doing what God said. So they were saying, hey, we can't kill, not that God said kill all the Benjamites, but he said, there's 600 of them left. If we kill them, that'll really mess up our religious system. Are you tracking with me? Because then we'll only have 11 tribes, and you know, we got to have 12. Well, why? Because that's what we've always had. That's just what we've always done. That's what we know, so that's how and what we're going to stay to. We got 12, we're going to stay with 12, even though what, these, what those guys did was horrendous. So 600 men stay. They go to Iraq. Because of their sin, uh, Benjamin goes to Iraq, okay? So because of their sin, Israel can't even recognize that they are the ones responsible for the genocide of an entire tribe, and then they start blaming God. What do God, what is this? You, it's all, it's all, it starts with this Levite blaming the, is the, the, the nation. Then the nation turns to God and blames him as if this was God's idea. This is fascinating to me. We do the same thing today. God, why do you let this happen? Why is all these bad things happening? Why are all these bad things happening? Instead of looking inward and saying, man, maybe I need to repent. Maybe I need to humble myself and pray and seek God's face. Maybe it's me and not God at all. Then it gets even weirder, as if it could. They concoct a plan, Israel, to wipe out the town of Jabesh-Gilead. Because Jabesh-Gilead says, hey, we're not going to go to fight against uh, Benjamin. Remember, uh, we're just not going to do that. We're, we're just, we're just going to stay home. So all of Israel wipes out the city of Jabesh-Gilead. Men, women, children, except for 400 virgins, 400 teenage girls. You know what they decide to do? They decide to give those 400 teenage girls to the men of Benjamin. Well, how many men of Benjamin were there? 600. Uh-oh, we're short. So then there's this freak show that happens at the fall in Shiloh. All these women come out to dance in the fields without the men. I don't know what it's for. Some probably some pagan ritual. Israel's leaders tell Benjamin, hey, hide in the vineyards, and when, if you can find 200 hotties, just go steal them. They're yours. Take them. They're from Shiloh. Shiloh women are hot. Go get them. So they did. Benjamin goes and gets 200 women. Benjamites go and get 200 women. So they have 600 women, 600 men, and now they can reproduce. And that's how the book of Judges ends. You're welcome. I'm telling you, it is bizarre. However, let me pull out some principles. From verse 25, the last chapter of Judges says what? There was no king in Israel. Can I just tell you, when, when we have a nation of fatherlessness, when we have a nation of men who don't know how to lead and women who don't know how to lead, when we have a nation of men and women who do their own thing and have never been taught, when we don't have moms and dads, when we don't have spiritual moms and dads, this is what happens. Everyone does what's right in their own eyes. Everyone goes astray. Everyone seeks their own way. They turn away from God because there's no one there to correct him. There's no warrior shepherds. The first thing we see, you guys hang on to your seatbelts. When, when there's no fathers in the land, number one, the weak are always abused. Check it out. What was, um, 
We def- okay, the weaker do we. This is what the people in power do. They redefine morality in a way that protects the strong. Come on. When there are no fathers, and when a nation turns its back on God, those in power redefine morality, and may I say laws, that protect those in power. Come on. The second thing we see is they were mercilessly abusive against weaker, weaker tribes and women. Um, let me just say this. A scholar I just read this week said this. The temperature of a nation is the way you treat your weak. The moral temperature of a nation is how you treat the least of these. How, how can we, how can we stand and not do something about what's happening in our nation? I read another article about a a guy who says, where is the church in light of what's going on? They're standing in triumph. That's our guy. It's the second coming. It's awesome. Hang on a hook on that guy. He's awesome. Why? Because he got a conservative judge in? Are you freaking kidding me? You know I never go down a political path, but my God, we have, as a church, have got to start using our voices and our hands and our feet to protect the weak. This is what defines a godly nation. When we are not protecting the weak and the marginalized, we are godless and we are pagan. And I don't care how big our churches get and how big our budgets get and how fancy our lights get. If we're not protecting and speaking for the least of these, we are pagans. And I would imagine at some point God would say, I don't even know you. Who are the weak? Who are the weak in this story? The fatherless. Micah, although he thought he was strong, was actually weak. He had no idea that what he was doing was breaking the first two commandments. It's the first thing Hebrew boys would have learned. Thou shalt not have any other gods before me. Thou shalt not make any graven images of any other gods. The second is the marginalized. It's people on the outskirts. It's people, the small tribes. The, maybe, maybe Jabesh Gilead didn't, could, couldn't afford to go to war. Maybe they didn't have an armory. Maybe they didn't have anybody. Maybe the men were weak. Maybe, they were, maybe it was harvest season. I don't know. But people in power preyed upon them as sort of some vindictive act to justify their immorality. Three, people of color, different races, the indigenous of Israel were actually the ones who were weak being preyed upon by their own government. Does this sound freaking familiar? In our day, who are the weak? I would argue babies in the womb are weak. And we have got to stand up for the rights of the unborn. And I would say killing through legal ways is just as immoral. I would say I would stand against capital punishment. If your life, your life, all the way through. 
single moms. Man, I, my heart is, we, another story, single moms, dads who bail. Well, I should say sperm donors who bail. Just, just leave. They don't, they, don't, they don't have any idea how to be a dad. They don't have any idea how to be a father. They don't have any, have any idea how to be a husband, how to stay. They've never been taught to be a warrior shepherd. Of course, people who've never heard of Jesus. The second thing that happens, the first thing that happens when there are no warrior shepherds is the weak are abused. It'll happen every time. People in power, their number, you know what people in power, their number one goal is? To stay in power. They have to stay in power. And so people in power will legislate even immoral laws to stay in power. While the people who are hurting all on the margins are just constantly being rolled over. Listen, who's going to speak up if it's not the church? Who's going who's to speak into these issues if not us? And who's going to do something about it? My wife, as you know, is a Creek Indian. Um, couldn't tell her by her complexion, but she is. I mean, she's actually on the national roll. She's Creek Indian. And when the thing in North Dakota was going down through the pipeline, she's like, I feel like I need to go up there. And circumstances prevented her from doing so. But, but there was a lady I read about that came from New Mexico, then went up to North Dakota, quit her job, went to North Dakota because she was part of a tribe in New Mexico, went to North Dakota, and now is like leading the, the, some sort of pure water thing up there. I'm like, man, see, do you see what's happening? When you just do something and you speak into something, your life will change. And, and she says, I've never been, never been more satisfied. But we take to social media... And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, it's a good, good place to start, I think, of voicing our opinions, but then we don't put any feet behind it. We don't do anything about it. Go solve a problem. When, when, when something irritates, listen, the reason you're created, the thing that's ticking you off right now is probably your problem to solve. That's what God put inside of you. I'm like, I cannot stand injustice. Well, do something about it. You're put on the planet to do that. You're put on the planet to make things just. You're tracking with me. All right. The second thing that happens, we live in despair. Man, this is a de depressing <laughs> book. I mean, at the end, you're like, oh, I'm so sorry I had to take you through this. But this is depravity. This is man without God. This is man without warrior shepherds. This is man without malak. This is man without king. This is man without someone to show them the way. But there's hope. This is so cool, you guys. Ruth is actually a parallel book to Judges. I don't know if you knew this or not. Ruth is actually written in parallel with judges, obviously they couldn't mush them together, so they separated them so that one would follow the other. But in actuality, as all this misery is happening in Israel, Ruth is happening. Come on. You, you know where I'm going with this? In the middle of all this poo, the beautiful story of redemption is being woven. In the middle of this depraved, sick, I mean, it's like they had to write the worst case scenario so that you, can, you and I can understand 
the beauty of Ruth. Ruth, as you know, married Boaz. Boaz and Ruth had a son named Obed. Obed had a son named Jesse. Jesse had a son named David, the warrior shepherd. Come on. I thought that was pretty cool. They tied that all together right there. <laughs> hey, all right. Thank you. Thanks, Megan. David, the warrior shepherd. Oh, the whole book of Judges is pointing to David. Who's pointing to Jesus? We win. Warrior shepherd, right? It was funny, um, the, the dichotomy between Saul and David. Uh, actually, another phrase for Melech is uh, son of Saul. And I'm like, hmm. Well, I wonder if Micah was Saul's dad or something. No wonder he was jacked up. But Saul came from the city of Gibeah, the tribe of Benjamin. Interesting, isn't it? Who couldn't get his eyes off material things. And yet David came from the line of a Moabite and a good guy, a good businessman. The whole book of Judges is working in tandem with the beautiful redemptive story of Jesus Christ. If we're looking for a savior, we can see plenty of times how men have failed us, how men have failed so badly. And every time the Israelites try to hang their hook on their nationalism or on their religious practices or on their pastors, they failed over and over and over again. And in tandem with the book of Judges is this beautiful story of absolute justice. I love when David said, he said, justice is not getting revenge. Justice is making things as though and if and as they should be. So we wrap up the series. Even though that there were atrocities, as we know, we know, my friends, that there is always hope. There's a warrior shepherd on the way. There's a warrior shepherd. He's a precursor to Jesus Christ. He was breaking the rules. He was saying, bring me the ephod. He was eating showbread and meat where he shouldn't have been. He was doing all the wrong things. He was the least, the person that you would ever expect to be king. And here he was, introduced as a, as a, as a shepherd. Sorry, I'm setting you up for failure. I hate when people do that to me. Um, he said he was introduced as a what? Not answering. Let me end with this. Okay. My friends, we are now the hands and feet of Jesus. It's, it's our responsibility. He said, go, okay, go. The, fir the first thing he said, the last thing he said was, I need you to go and reproduce now everything I've taught you. Make disciples. Develop people. And, and you're, you're endowed with the power of the Holy Spirit. Hang out in the house. Acts 2 is coming. It's going to be awesome. I know you can't do this. You're freaking out. But the power of the Holy Spirit is going to come in you, and you're going to be able to do what I did. You're actually going to be able to reproduce me through you. We're the hands and feet. And he says, go to all nations and do that. And we all know that, right? Matthew 28. So it keeps coming up as so fascinating to me that as we are the world's answers to the world's problems, that we continually run into our buildings and complain about everything that's going outside of our buildings, but never do anything to change what's going outside 
of our buildings. So let me encourage you. I don't know that we're going to take a trek to Mexico and help the immigrants, right? I don't know that that's going to happen, but I know where it can start. It's right here at the kitchen table. It can start development around your family. It's starting to teach your kiddos how to live righteous lives. It's starting to teach your kiddos the simple basic things. Why don't we lie and why don't we throw tantrums and why don't we have bad attitudes and why don't we do these things that are against what God's laws are? God's rules are actually here to set us free. It starts at the table, my friends. It starts at the kitchen table. It starts with our families. If we're going to solve big problems like immigration, we've got to solve small problems like family. We've got to start small. We've got to start loving our freaking neighbor as ourself. You want to solve big problems? Then solve a small one. Introduce yourself to your neighbor. That's a great place to start. Look, it's not that hard. God said two things, right? I remember the Ten Commandments. They're awesome. Really good for you guys. But here's what's even more important. I am going to give you a new command. Okay, Jesus, what is it? Do we, do we, do we get speedboats? Do we get sports cars? Do we get four-wheel drives? What, what, what do we do? How do we do this? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Wait, what? That's it? If you're going to be the hands and feet of Jesus, love God with all of your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. We are the ones speaking on behalf of the voiceless. We are the ones speaking and acting on behalf of the weak. When we see a nation that is beginning to abuse the weak or has abused the weak or setting up standards to protect the power of the strong, then we need to be the voice in that storm. And like many a prophet before us, we need to correct those things that are abusing the least of these. Plain and simple. Correct the things that are abusing the least of these. Stand with me. That's it. That's judges, kids. I told you. Freaky. I think that they had to, like, get our attention so greatly. I really want to nail that point home so that we would so much more appreciate the beauty of Ruth. We had to hear how bad it got to see and appreciate how good it was going to get. All right? Amen? Cool. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray now that you would seal these words in our hearts. Come on, guys. Put your hands on your hearts. Just brand this. Lord, as believers in this nation, we see injustice. We see things that are not right. We see things that are abusive. Lord, give us strategies, wisdom, witty inventions to speak into those issues, Lord, and be the hands and feet of Jesus and solve problems. And Lord, first of all, let us be trained and diligently teaching our kiddos around the table. Let them see a good example of warrior shepherds at the table. Let them see, Father, that they are that they are being led and they are being guided and they are being corrected and taught by warrior shepherds. Those that have hands that are tender but yet strong to lead and guide and nurture and teach. And God, as it spills over to our neighbors and in their neighbors and their neighbors, and pretty soon, Lord, I know what you're, you're thinking. Make disciples, make disciples, reproduce. And it starts with 1 and 2 and 4 and 8, 16, 32, 64, 128, and just continues and continues and continues. Help us now seal these words, Father, this story of judges of just jacked up people 
and a nation looking for a Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.